On today's menu, we have football tokens, which were all the rage around the World Cup. We have NFT marketplaces, but this time coming from Instagram. And uh, we have uh, an amazing story about car washes using NFTs. All of this followed by today's deep dive with our guest, who's going to be talking about creating startups in Web3. That's it. So let's uh, do it. Welcome to Marketing Meets Web3, the podcast where we share news and ideas about Web3. This show is for entrepreneurs and marketers looking for insights about the technology, opportunities and issues surrounding this fascinating evolution of the web. Today's conversation is for information purposes only and does not constitute legal or investment advice. Hello, Nick. The World Cup was uh, quite a thing. It was, wasn't it? Hi, Alberta. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Myself being uh, in Europe, I really enjoyed you know, the football part. I don't know you being in uh, the US, whether you liked the soccer event. Well, we definitely are getting into the groove, but I think Europe still has us beat when it comes to their <laughs> their fan power. So yeah, what's this, what's this news about the World Cup and tokens? Yes, that's the thing that uh, has been happening for a while. Actually, it's funny. I, I watch plenty of football here, you know, being from Madrid, a Real Madrid supporter, by the way. Uh, and I watch a lot of football. And uh, it's not uh, weird to see these uh, companies advertising themselves in the stadiums. So you can see them on, on TV. And uh, one, of, uh, one of the common ones is uh, this company called Socios, which uh, they do fan tokens that uh, are club tokens that are created to for the fans and uh, and they give you access to um uh, utility we could call it access to special treats access to some special events access to basically insights uh, about the club that uh, without the token you wouldn't be able to to access and the socios does this there's this other company called bitsy that does this as well and of course in the World Cup, this was uh, quite a thing because, well, everybody was watching football these days and they they uh, showcased these tokens that were tokens about the teams participating in the in the World Cup. So in this case, they weren't clubs, national uh, clubs, I mean, particular clubs. They were uh, national clubs that participated within the World Cup. So we saw a lot of uh, movement in these uh, fan tokens before, during the, the World Cup. And there's something very interesting that uh, I saw happen in uh, one of them, specifically the one about Argentina, ARG, which is uh, the national team that, world, that won the, the World Cup. And uh, what I found very interesting about uh, this specific token was the performance that they had during the, the World Cup. Because you can see what the price of the token did during the World Cup and the participation of this uh, of this uh, team, and at, at the beginning, of course, nothing much happened. But as they moved along and they continued to make their way to the final, you could see the price of the ARG token going up. So people were <laughs> buying into the token as as they saw the prospects of this team winning the World Cup uh, become higher. Yeah, that, that's pretty interesting. So the price of the fan token was tracking with Argentina's performance. So right. it's kind of, there's a correlation between the price and the fan excitement. That's that's pretty cool. So 
let me let me rewind on this a little bit. So it sounds like these companies, Socios and Bitsy, they're using these fan tokens as a way to reward fans, right? So get them engaged, give them extra benefits, different kinds of perks. What's really cool about that, and this is kind of an emerging theme that we're seeing in the Web3 space, are these companies that are using the value that they're already bringing to a fan base or to an audience, and then they're giving fans or customers or their communities ways to actually trade that value, ways to spend that value. So, you know, if you think about a regular rewards program, right, maybe you're a good customer to a business and you go in once in a while and you get a free coffee because you're there five days a week. And sure, everybody appreciates free coffee, but I think there's something that feels just different about having a token or an NFT attached to your loyalty to a business that you can then decide as a customer, okay, maybe I want to go sell this on the market, or maybe I want to use this to get into a particular fan zone during a match. So I think it's a really cool concept. What are your thoughts on, you know, there's there's a lot of gray area, regulatory gray area around some of this stuff. Is, is this kind of tokenized activity, is this going to be a regulatory hurdle that, that we have to clear? Well, I guess so. Uh, of course, I am not very much into the regulation in general. And one thing that I really like about this thing, and it, it's completely connected to this regulatory aspect, is that, you know, there's a lot of people who support, for instance, you know, the Brazilian national team, and they may want to be part of this team at a different level, you know, maybe throughout, maybe, maybe using these, uh, these tokens, for instance, that they give them, that give them access to, to this, uh, this, this, uh, let's say private things, you know, about the, or, or insider things about this, this, uh, this club or this national team in this case. And uh, what is interesting is that people that, that maybe in this situation may be based in India and, you know, sure. they, they know Brazil and they're like, Oh, I can purchase this token from India and be a part of this. Right. And of course, then there comes the whole regulation thing, which is, okay, you are giving access to this token that then, that can then be traded to this person in, in India. I know, of course, there's a, there's a lot of uh, regulatory aspects in there that at some point will probably come knocking. But uh, what I like about this is that it opens up this, uh, this field and these opportunities to anybody around the globe. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, you know, I think one thing that's important to call out is these tokens, as far as I know, they don't, they don't, you're not buying a portion of a football team. You don't own right. anything related to the intellectual property for the team. It's really just a reward. So that just becomes a way for you to represent and trade your fan loyalty, if you will. So yeah, very, very cool approach. Question, I guess, out there is, you know, are there advantages or disadvantages to attaching this kind of token to a team? Like what's the impact on maybe fan morale if you see something like a price going up and down on your your team's token? <laughs> well, I, what I like about this is that, uh, of course, it's very nuanced, no? but what I like about it is that people uh, mark or show their preferences through money. And this is the best way to sure. show what you want and yeah. what you don't want, right? And of course, then it, then comes the, the question of, okay, but what if I made money trading on, you know, the Argentinian team winning the, the World Cup? Is this, is this okay? Does this take us to, to a position where we maybe don't want to be? Uh, does this bring, you know, this, um, gambling, you know, issues <laughs> or, uh, and puts them 
in a, in a position where you know that they could be a danger to society in general. I don't know, but uh, I think I think nobody was asking for this to happen. They just created this token that, as you said, is used as a reward uh, for the user who has it, and then uh, it, it can be used uh, as it's been to to predict in a way to, to put money um, into okay, what are the odds of this team winning the the World Cup? So people people show their preferences through money, and this this creates a price for these tokens. So this has of course advantages and disadvantages, and we will get to see them as we move along. Yeah, and I guess maybe just to close this out, you know, I think one of the interesting things for uh sports franchises brands influencers anybody who would take this approach with their fan base is to your earlier point about somebody in india wanting to get involved with a team in argentina you know this really does lower the barriers and opens up the entire world as a true fan of your franchise of your brand of your products so it's an interesting thing. It'll be interesting to see if this is also something that can be stacked with NFTs so that you know a digital collectible also plays into the kinds of rewards that you earn. But speaking of digital collectibles, we have right. some NFT news that's just on the horizon here from Instagram. So quick backstory. Uh, a few years ago, when I was running a different podcast and interviewing founders of different projects... I reached out to the CEO of Super Rare. His name is John Crane. And Super Rare is a very high-end NFT art marketplace. And I asked him about how he got involved in blockchain. He actually got involved. He was he's working in an IT job um, in a developer role. He had this idea of creating NFTs from Instagram posts. So maybe he wanted to take a special moment with friends and turn that into an NFT on the blockchain. And this was years ago. And at the time, it was it was a concept so far out there that I don't think it really took hold. However, Instagram has just announced they now have this native built-in functionality where they're going to let creators create and then trade and sell NFTs through the platform. Um, I think they're starting on the Polygon blockchain, but they have plans to expand to Solana and Phantom as well. So this is a pretty interesting development by obviously a mega social media company um, really showing their hand in terms of getting involved with Web3. What's your reaction to this? Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think uh, the most important thing that you said in there was uh, that the time wasn't right for something at some point, but the, it may be the right time today, right? And uh, of course, when Instagram came, they, they came and did something incredible that people valued a lot. And uh, then something else, which was similar, but not exactly the same, which was uh, TikTok came around and then uh, it brought something else that was uh, different to what uh, maybe Instagram was, was, was bringing into the table. And then uh, Instagram tried, you know, to also offer this, this kind of uh, uh, service to, to their users. And uh, now we have, uh, NFTs coming into the into the arena, and uh, I wonder how these big companies are going to be using this because, of course, it's been it, it, the NFTs have taken you know the the audience to a different place, and and people are very interested in these. So how how is this going to affect you know the the narrative, the services, the products that uh, companies such as Instagram are going to be creating in the future? I think that's going to be very interesting to check out. I agree. And I, I think, you know, in terms of the narrative around Instagram, around social media, even, 
we've moved into a place with the creator economy where none of these platforms can exist without the creatives, right? Without the people that are creating the content on these platforms. And typically or traditionally, those creators are only compensated through things like advertising. They have to run ads in a creative um, and they have to get to a certain number of impressions. And so there's a very high bar for a creator to actually be compensated fairly for their work. And this is an interesting twist that I think really uh, takes into play how creators are a dominant force in the content creation ecosystem and how things like Web3 really help us align incentives in a much different way. Uh, you know, So thinking about directly incentivizing creators to create by giving them the ability to create an NFT and then being able to sell those NFTs to their fans, creating excitement around trading those NFTs within their ecosystem. I think it's a really interesting development. I'm excited about where this, this will take us. And the way this works is, is one that uh, as more value comes to the creator in this case, then we could see, I, I don't know if we'll be seeing this. Of course, I, I would love to see something like this because I think it would bring around a lot of uh, creativity, but uh, we could see a market in which different platforms compete on rewarding these creators, right? Uh, oh, instead absolutely. of, uh, yeah, yeah, instead of uh, trying to compete to get more advertisers, which means competing in terms of how many eyeballs I got, they, they, they could be competing in terms of, okay, I'm, I'm going to give uh, the creator as much uh, uh, value accrual as possible, right? They're going to they're gonna be the, the owners of, uh, of uh, whatever they create. In a way, it's a bit uh, similar to what we were talking about before when we were talking about football. In in football, it's not uh, weird to see contracts where you know the one of one of the main points of negotiation are the 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 rights to the for for for, for selling stuff, right? So you pay the sure. player for playing for you, and you and they also earn money for being in uh, ads somewhere, you know, talk, uh, selling Adidas shoes or something like that. And uh, sure. there's, a, there's a common part of the negotiation, which is about, okay, how much of that is going to come to the player and how much is going to stay with the, with the club itself, right? And um, this, this could be a thing that happens for, for creators, for, for more creators as we, as we move along this uh, route. Oh, interesting. So you're saying that this idea of having like endorsements for creators who are creating uh, really high quality work. Right. Because yeah. they, they they do benefit from being in a platform with a lot of people. And I guess that's why right. they may be on one platform instead of another. But uh, thanks to thanks to NFTs and, and, and what Web3 brings in terms of like owning the, the thing that you create, we, we could see more uh, negotiation power staying with the creator instead of staying with the, with the platform. Right, because they can, they can, they own their, they own their work. They can take it wherever they want to, to a different platform. So, really cool. So, two big news items about kind of big companies, big sports franchises. Is there anything going on in the world with NFTs with smaller business, or how does this apply to, you know, the the mom and pop business on the out out there? Bringing this down to earth, and uh, yes, there is. Exactly. A... <laughs> let's let's bring this down to earth. Yeah. Yeah, let's let's not talk about Cristiano Ronaldo. Let's not talk about Instagram. Uh, let's talk a bit about uh, yeah, one very amazing piece of news that we came across, which was a small, well, small. I mean, it's a chain, so it's quite a it's quite a big uh, player in, in in this realm, which is a car wash chain 
in San Diego, offering NFTs that customers can collect from their different uh, car wash uh, uh, venues within within San Diego. And uh, this is, I mean, the, the whole story uh, is uh, is amazing. Which is uh, this this uh, owner of uh, of this car was looking into NFTs and actually watching watching something on TV and uh, seeing this person using NFTs and thinking, oh, this is something that we could do, you know, to reward our audience, which in this case is uh, is not uh, football people watching uh, watching games, it's not uh, people scrolling on Instagram, it's people watching their cars, right? And uh, they could also be rewarded right. via <laughs> via NFTs, right? And, uh, and they found this solution to be one that, they, that could be used. And uh, what is very... I think uh, interesting is uh, not only that they they managed to do this in in a very short uh, short time, but also the the results that they got from this uh, experiment, which which was as I said, uh, this uh, collection of NFTs that people could uh, receive by going to the different car wash venues, and that was in their car on on those, and they 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 received these NFTs via via email, and they saw a seventy one percent. Uh, open rate on these emails, which I don't know for anybody out there who's got a newsletter, seventy-one percent open a, rate. That's a strong open rate. <laughs> it's it's a very strong open rate. So it's uh, that, that 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 number already is amazing. But the other thing that is amazing is the the number of NFTs that they minted, that they created, and uh, the amount of uh, wallets, meaning people that that, that came. And and got those NFTs, which was uh, two thousand different wallets for ten thousand uh, NFTs. Uh, amazing numbers. Yeah, that's that's really impressive, and it's such a cool uh, use case and success story for you know, like you said, maybe a medium sized business. They're a chain, so it's not a single car wash, but still, it's in a local region. They're serving a local customer base, and they're using NFTs actively using them to engage customers and drive what I am assuming is higher customer retention because these NFTs come with perks, I assume that you can redeem on your next visit like that. So, you know, in a very simple way, it's it's like thinking about the way businesses use punch cards today, or they you sign up for their loyalty programs today. What I think is really interesting about the NFT approach is that NFTs can be so creative. They can be customized. They can be incorporated with artwork. So, you know, just imagining for a moment that this car wash, Soapy Joe's wanted to collaborate with a local artist collective or some sort of cause that they support in the local community. And NFT allows you to bring that that organization into the fold. Maybe they contribute the artwork. Maybe there's a charitable contribution that comes out of all of this. But it's a really... I think novel way to approach loyalty and much less stale than just getting a punch card or typing your phone number into a, a terminal. So this is this is a really cool case story. Uh, one thing that maybe we could talk a bit about is uh, how they managed to do this, right? Because I mean, they went from thinking about this to actually implementing it and then having results. I think in the space of a few months, I think in two three months. The whole experiment uh, was made, and actually, that they're thinking about uh, launching a, a new one. And uh, it's uh, it's interesting how they mixed Web two to Web three in order to give a solution that uh, was, uh, I think, uh, readily accepted or readily underst understandable for everybody, right? Uh, using email and using NFTs. 
It's so important. I mean, this is a trend that we're seeing in this space from really all the players that are now getting involved with Web3. In the beginning of Web3, I think there was a very strong push to use all of the new concepts and you have to use a cryptocurrency wallet. And while there were reasons or I guess ideals behind that type of thinking, it also creates a lot of friction in the user experience. And so what I think the smartest companies are doing now is they're saying, how do we take Web3 and, and the benefits of Web3, things like tokenizing loyalty, things like uh, retention as a loyalty NFT, how do we take the best of Web3 and how do we get people in the door really easily using Web2 methods? So let them sign up with an email, let them use a traditional password, let them use their phone to log in, you know, all the things that people are used to in everyday life with their digital world. There, there's no reason to reinvent the wheel with some of this stuff. And I think it's really the only way that we're going to get to mass adoption is if we start meeting people in the meet, in the middle, meet, or, you know, meet them where they are um, and help them get into Web3 and take advantage of some of those benefits in an easy way. Yeah. Yeah. This would be as simple as uh, washing your car, ideally. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So we get into today's deep dive. Let's do it. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Marketing Meets Web3. Today, we are joined by Tom Tolley. He is the author of How to Create a Web3 Startup, a guide for tomorrow's breakout companies. Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. To uh, kick us off, can you just uh, let our listeners know a little bit about your background and how you got involved with Web3? Yeah, so I've, I've been in the technology industry since uh, high school. So uh, I, I published some computer programs, but that was back in the 1980s. Uh, and then once I became an adult, I got into the startup world and kind of leveraged my background in development into starting different companies. Uh, one was an e-learning. Uh, the other one was kind of like a Shopify for 1997. And uh, so uh, had the benefit of uh, being part of the, the dot-com boom, but also saw the dot-com implosion. And so I'm, I'm familiar with you know what's going on with uh, Web3 in terms of the, the down, downturn. I, I've been through quite a few of those uh, in, in my life. And in terms of Web3, uh, you know, Web3 is, hasn't been around for a long time. Um, but uh, since I do a lot of writing, I, I, you know, I, I keep up on what's happening. And uh, you know, my, my involvement is more through crypto. So I've been an investor for crypto for for some time. Familiar with platforms like Ethereum, so you know, it started to pop up on my radar screen uh, from from that vantage point. When when Nick told me about the book and he told me that he had been uh, quoted in there, I I got really excited because I I love uh, books. I read a lot of books, and uh, I really envy writers that can uh, you know get the the job done because writing a book it's uh, pretty hard. I, I'm, I wonder if you could share a bit of uh, what was your journey from, as you said, you know, learning about what Web three was, your involvement with crypto, and uh, all the way to ending up publishing the book. Yeah. So, uh, like I mentioned, I've I've, I've written different books uh, over the years, actually over the decades. Uh, so I've always been, even though I've been an entrepreneur, I've always done a lot of writing. And, and to me, that that's just a great way to learn about a topic. Uh, I think there's two great ways, you know, there's a couple ways of learning about something. One is actually do it. I think that's like being an entrepreneur. And the other is teaching. Uh, 
and then the other is writing. Uh, and I've, I've kind of had experiences in, in all three of those. And, and, and what winds up happening is you, you have to learn about things you probably would not want to learn about. Um, you know, you kind of, you, we tend to focus on things that we want to, or are interested in. Uh, but I think that the advantage of writing something like a book is you, you go into topics that you, you know, you got to talk about, because if you want a good book, you got to, you got to give a full picture. And so, uh, um, so I've always, you know, uh, so I've written books about artificial intelligence and RPA and, you know, the web three was more about, you know, what do I want to write about next? And, uh, you know, before the kind of the downturn, you know, my, my Twitter feed was just getting filled up with web three, uh, information and tweets about it. And then I looked at uh, venture capitalists like Sequoia and how they're, they, you know, looked at Web3 as, as a platform shift. Um, so I think anytime you see a platform shift in technology, you know, I was, I was around when we went from DOS to Windows and Windows to the Internet, <laughs> Internet to, to iPhone. So anytime those things happen, it's, it's, a, it's obviously a big deal. So I wanted to really learn a lot more about that. So I, I pitched the idea to my publisher and, and my editor, and, and they liked the idea. So uh, I just dived in. Um, and it was kind of a, you talk about journey. It was kind of an interesting journey because when I started it, it was really at the, the peak of the market. And as I started writing it, you know, the market started to go down. <laughs> so, you know, it was kind of those real-time experiences of going from top to bottom, um, you know. Uh, uh, so uh, I, but by the time I had to edit my chapter one, I had to do a lot of re-edits because a lot had changed since chapter one. <laughs> so that gives you an idea that kind of the difficulties of writing, you know, a, kind of an early stage technology where there's a lot of dynamic changes. Yeah. And, you know, I think something you just touched on there, the, this, the pace of change in this industry, um, you know, there's a saying that, you know, one year in crypto is like five or 10 <laughs> outside of crypto because things are changing so fast. You touched on something in your background. So you've been writing about technology and, and been an entrepreneur in the space since the early days of tech. So you've seen the different evolutions of the web, what we're now looking at as Web one, web two, you know, the, uh, the evolution of e-commerce into our world, the internet. And I'm curious this time around with web three, you know, being able to look back on those experiences as reference points, what are the parallels that you draw this time around with web three and the way that other technologies have come into the world? And then maybe what's different this time around? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I was there with the, the emergence of the internet and that's, that's when I was an adult. And so I can start companies and benefit from them. And, you know, uh, looking back on it, I wish I had done other things, but, uh, uh, you know, you don't have that benefit of, of hindsight. And so that's, uh, you just kind of have to make, make your bets where you can, but you try to take lessons. Um, and, and I think one of the lessons, uh, is, um, a couple is that you, you've got to make some, you got one, clearly you got to solve problems, um, real problems. It just can't be an experiment. Uh, the other is, especially with something like uh, Web3, which usually involves some type of token or something of value or monetary value, security is very important. Uh, and I think that was critical for the early days of e-commerce and the internet. 
uh, in my startup, we, we used uh, what was known as cyber cash. I don't think they're, they're around anymore. Um, but <laughs> we, we had some crazy stories because we had access to probably certain information that we didn't realize uh, we should have had access to, <laughs> or at least people thought they should have in those days. So it was a very, very much a wild, wild west of, of that. But in order for that market to become a big market, people had to trust it and it had to be secure. Um, so I think that that's critical. Um, and I also think the other thing too is that uh, ease of use is 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 very important. And and I think that's a that's another area that needs a lot of improvement with Web three. Um, you know, Amazon. You know had you know one click buying and you know paypal made it easy to transfer money um you know those things that can really streamline and take friction out of a, a system uh tend to be the winners so i think this time around i think those are some of the lessons i would take um you know applying and trying to apply that to you know this new category of web3 yeah, you, you make a great point about uh, the security and the trust uh, for new technologies that are coming into the world. You know, I, I think about, I, I've forgotten about it at this point because I take it for granted, but in the beginning of e-commerce, it was a real challenge to get people to put a credit card into a website. There was so much distrust around that and there was so much trust building we had to do from putting badges on our website to remind people that this is totally secure to you know having full explainers. I mean, there, there, I actually remember a time when you could order things online and you would still pay for them like COD or you would have to mail a check or use some other payment method. So right. the world really has evolved in interesting ways and, and making people feel secure is, is definitely a big part of that. So that's, that's a great point. You've talked about the, the benefit of hindsight. And I think we all enjoy that, of course, when the, when the hindsight comes. And uh, I wonder after, after this time that you spent um, writing the book and researching the, the sector, uh, whether you think that the world is now ready for startups in Web3? And if it isn't, what do they need to learn to get there? Well, I I mean, th there will be a Web3. I mean, th there's going to be another platform. I mean, I, I have no doubt about that. The question is, what will that platform look like? Um, and, uh, you know, it'll probably be on the internet. I mean, that's probably pretty clear. Um, and, um, but but will it look like what a lot of the early players think it will look like and you know probably not um you know um did did uh you know in the early days of the internet um you know you look at a website you look at amazon's first website as an example uh, that was a that was a joke but back then it was actually pretty cool but three years later it was completely different and so I think it's the iterations and the learnings that, you know, so predicting what, what's going to happen is, is, a, is you know, a hazardous activity uh, because, you know, technology is about getting things out there, learning from your customers, iterating on that, and this quick evolution. And, you know, you get the benefit of that when you're on the internet. Um, and so I, I think, uh, I, th I do think there, there will, you know, at some point there's going to have to be, the other, the next platform, um, blockchain to me seems like a really fascinating approach to to do that. 
allowing people to have more control over their data, uh, you know, cutting out some of the middlemen. Uh, so I think all those are, are benefits uh, to, the, to the next step of the internet. Um, um, but but it, it probably won't be what, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, the idealists view it as. It'll probably be a bit of kludgy kind of a thing, um, but, uh, but I think it'd just be very difficult to, to predict. But, but I am confident that there will be another platform um, but and it'll probably have some of these elements of Web3 in it. Yeah, I mean, it could definitely go in many different ways. I'm predicting it's not something that uh, people should do <laughs> in general, I guess. <laughs> but I wonder if uh, if there's a one of those avenues that you would prefer. Is there is there any way in which you would love this uh, to go? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I do think the, the 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 blockchain concept, you know, which is pretty much fundamental to to Web3. I think is, you know, to me, it seems like a very interesting thing, but I have to, if it's, but it's got to be something where people don't have to think about it as blockchain, that you don't have to understand what blockchain is. Um, just like, you know, when you use a lot of web two applications, you don't need to know a lot of things about those applications. You just, you just do what you need to do and it solves your problems and you, you know, you don't have to explain the underlying technology to people. Um, so, you know, I think that's, I think that's one of the, the bottlenecks with, with web three is uh, tends to get really too caught up in the jargon and the technology and the inner workings of the systems and not about the problems to be solved. Um, and, and, uh, you know, consumer adoption is, is, you know, if you really want to have mainstream consumer adoption, it has to be the point where the people don't even care if it's blockchain or not. Uh, but if it, it's a much, if it's a much better experience and you're solving problems and doing things better, that that'll get people's attention. Um, you know, Starbucks has their, their kind of web three loyalty program. That's in beta right now called Starbucks Odyssey. And uh, I don't even think it mentions blockchain. Uh, you know, it, it, you know, it, 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 it leverages these concepts, but it doesn't get into the jargon. And so if I, if I were to look at, at least from a consumer standpoint of how to approach this, I would look at brands like Starbucks, which are really good at, obviously they're, when it comes to consumers and marketing and getting people to, to try new things, uh, those are the companies I would look at. You mentioned something in terms of the jargon. So, you know, as one technologist to another, I, you know, I think we can, admit that we love our jargon. <laughs> we get lost in the technology sometimes. It's just, it's part and parcel with innovation, I think. And you're, you're sure. totally right. You know, if you think about even the everyday internet experience, you know, what you have to go through or what you had to go through at one point to get online. I remember a day when just to get connected to the internet, you had to know obscure technical details that you would plug into a system setting that everybody just takes for granted. Now you just open your browser and there it is. Um, and so I agree that in order for this to really take hold, we do need to start obfuscating some of that terminology and making this much more approachable for the every person. You also write about artificial intelligence. And I wonder, do you have any thoughts in terms of how AI meshes with blockchain or Web3 to make some of this technology 
um, more useful or, or creates more of a need for it. And I guess the the idea that comes to mind for me is we're seeing a lot of uh, use cases around this chat GPT technology. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of concern about things like fraud and you know how do we know if it's a bot or if it's a real person? Is there any implication or overlap with things like data ownership or user control of that data versus other technologies like AI? Well, not as much as you would think, uh, just because the way this 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 new new type of AI is is progressing and the way it operates. Um, I mean, I could go a little background of this evolution of this technology. Um, up until about 2017, um, you know, we the, the the deep learning revolution was was kind of running its running out of gas. Uh, because these models just, the, the belief was that you could, models could only be a certain size. And after that, they, they lose their, their effectiveness. So to, to use some jargon, it was this uh, vanishing gradient problem that occurs uh, with AI. And the, there's, there was, there's a pessimism uh, bubbling up. And then uh, a group of researchers in 2017 at Google came up with this concept of the transformer. And uh, it's based on uh, a whole new way of looking at deep learning where, you know, the, the original way of learning at uh, looking at deep learning is you do these little iterations and convolutions or, and you, you know, it'll, it'll find a line. And then that line becomes something that looks like uh, you know, a person's arm and then, it, and then the closing. So, you know, it's just kind of this evolution. With with a uh, transformer model, you get the whole picture, and you're looking at all the interrelationships. So, it, what started to emerge is these large language models like GPT three, where it could understand the context and the me- meanings of words and even images much better than these older models. And these models got better and better as they got bigger and bigger. And now there's there's these trillion parameter models now and talk of a hundred trillion parameter models very soon. And so now that uh, you know GPT three uh, chat GPT three is was you know was just launched in late November, by the way. I mean it almost seems like it was launched a year ago. It's just like it's it's so much has happened since then. Um it's been the moonshot. It's like the all of a sudden we got this killer app that everyone including your two-year-old can, can understand because you just communicate it, communicate with it as a human would. You just type a you know, sentence and you get an answer and you can hold a somewhat of a conversation with it and, and learn and, and things like that. The problem is, uh, or not the problem necessarily, but the connection with Web3, Web3 in terms of data is very tenuous because it's open AI, it's Google who controls all the data. So those models, those large language models are all handled by these huge companies because they're the only ones that can afford the massive amounts of GPUs to process all this stuff. I mean, processing a trillion parameter model is something you really can't do in your garage. And so um, so the huge competitive advantage is the hyperscalers are going to control the data. So it could be an extension of Web2, not uh, an evolution, not, not a transition to Web three. Um, 
So I, I do think this is this technology is very disruptive and it's still early stages, but um, it'll be pretty interesting to see what happens. Uh, and I think it's going to happen fairly quickly too, because uh, there's some, there's been some major breakthroughs in, in this. Um, but yeah, it also the data that's being used is mostly scraped from the internet anyway, you know, Reddit, Twitter, and, you know, Getty images or whatever, whatever, you know, I think chat GPT account, you know, scrapes about 10% of the internet. So it's already, it's already publicly available anyway, data. Um, but the next evolution will be, um, you know, maybe building on top of these models and using maybe data, um, maybe from these web three systems to maybe make some niche type applications or enterprise applications or something like that. Maybe it's where you want, you know, more control over a certain segment of that data. But, um, um, but again, it, this could be really much of a, a big boost to the, to the hyperscalers and the web two mega, mega companies. Yeah, I, I definitely see that uh, as a maybe medium term consequence. I guess where uh, my head has been going, just thinking about this stuff is if Web3 can deliver on the promise of giving people user control and ownership of their data, and you know, let's fast forward 10 or 20 years, this is obviously not going to be applicable to tomorrow. But if we're living in a world where people now own and can verify that they own their data, and we have these third-party models sitting on top of that data, making interpretations, you know, for you know, feeding that back in AI. Is there, you know, in my mind, is there a future where the person who owns that data is now a beneficiary somehow of the output of that data? You know, they they become whether that's through some sort of token economy or they just become a contributor to the system and they're compensated somehow. But that's that's kind of the direction that my mind's been chewing on. Well. It's already a lawsuit. Uh, Getty Images is suing. I think they're suing uh, OpenAI uh, because of the scraping of, of the uh, images. And these images, when you look at the images that are being created, uh, some of these images that are created by uh, uh, Dolly and, and some of these programs, they actually have the Getty Images, uh, you know, watermark on there. <laughs> <laughs> Hard to contest so, that one. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's, that's pretty good evidence for your attorney. So the creators, uh, you know, but, but, you know, you know, there's already been a, you know, minus the web, uh, the, the blockchain, you know, there's already been this creator economy, especially in images. Um, uh, and uh, for, for a long time. And now AI is encroaching on that. So, you know, now, what could be done is maybe there there are some web web three approaches for controlling that data and compensating people uh, for that those images and so forth. But but again, um, uh, we're already going to see um, you know next few years we're going to probably see the results of some litigation around this anyway. And what are the yeah. parameters and what what can you use as data and what is available to use anyway, which could uh, you know, what they'll probably have to do is pay some type of licensing fee uh, for that. Um, but yeah, I, um, it, it's uh, it's hard it's hard to see where it, where it's going to go. Um, but given the threats that 
maybe the artist community and the creator community see with ChatGPT, maybe they may be more inclined to go to some Web3 type of uh, projects for, their, for protection and compensation for the work they do. Oh, yeah, that, that would be an interesting consequence, definitely. I have a, a final question about the, the latest book. As you see, I, I'm still thinking about the book, which uh, I find it incredible. <laughs> An incredible accomplishment. Uh, what was the, the hardest thing to get him putting the thing together? Uh, hardest thing. I, I do some, I think you know, I, I do talk about, well, put it this way there's a lot of, uh, speaking of jargon, um, you know, there, there's quite a bit of jargon when it comes to Web3. And it, you know, this book is meant for not a technical person. Uh, so I think one of the challenges is just trying to take some of these ideas and making it so a non-technical person can can understand them. And some of this can be really complicated, especially on the infrastructure uh, level uh, of it. Um, so I think that was one of the challenges. And I think the other challenge too, what I mentioned earlier, was just in real time as I was writing this book, there was a lot of things going on and changes. And so it was difficult to just keep track of, you know, where I had to make some changes. And um, and I've had, I had a technical reviewer uh, for my book, and you know, he was flagging, you know, things that were kind of already wrong. And you know, I'm not even done with the book, so um, so it was it was a it was a bit of a challenge uh, uh, to do that, uh, but it was fun. I mean, uh, you know, it. Uh, uh, was, was, you know, and I, I learned quite a bit uh, by doing this. Uh, that's definitely the, the case. I can hardly keep up with my email news- newsletters in this space, so I can't imagine yeah, what right. your technical <laughs> reviewer was going through. That's right. <laughs> Tom, yeah, I feel, feel it, it, it's been a pleasure having you on the show this morning. Um, where can people go to learn more about you, follow your work, and yeah. see the book? Yeah, I mean, probably the best is Twitter. Uh, T-T-A-U-L-L-I at, at T-T-A-U-L-L-I. Uh, I do have a website uh, at T-O-M-T-A-U-L-L-I dot com. There's a contact form uh, if you want to reach out to me there, or you could just reach out to me on Twitter as well. And then also speaking of books, uh, I'm currently writing, my next book is on generative AI. So I've been really immersed in this whole chat GPT thing. And I started it before Ch- chat GPT came, came out. So, uh, of course now I had to do a lot of rewriting already because of uh, what happened. So web three, the change in web three was just a warm up for you. <laughs> That's right. So I, I know how this works now. So I'm, I'm prepared. Awesome. Well, Tom, thank you again for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. Yep. Great. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Marketing Meets Web3. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like and subscribe in your favorite podcast app. You can find our host, Nick Casares, on Twitter at N-I-C-K-C-A-S-A-R-E-S. 